good evening to uh, the 42 plus of you joining and tuning in. Um, I uh, trust that uh, you're all safe and, and healthy. Um, and I hope you're all, um, as we're learning about in Ephesians, walking in the spirit uh, and, and doing well in the Lord. Um, and, uh, you know, probably by now, uh, you're all um, familiar uh, with the setup here, but uh, we'll be spending uh, time tonight going through uh, uh, the, the final passage, actually, in, in Ephesians together, um, just uh, unpacking the text together. Um, and then in the following week, uh, we can spend some time discussing um, uh, the teaching and the passage in our small groups. Uh, so, um, you know, we'll, we'll do the text, we'll go through the text, and then uh, we'll wrap up uh, later tonight with a couple of announcements. Uh, you know, we'll give you some orientation as to what to expect uh, in the coming weeks. So before we get into the text, um, if you can all uh, pray with me. Let's pray for our time in the Word. Dear God, we thank you so much for... Um, who you are, we thank you, God, that you are uh, in full control, um, that you are sovereign, uh, that there is nothing that catches you by surprise. There is nothing uh, that is outside um, of your will, Lord. And uh, just as we, uh, in our present circumstances, uh, may be wrestling with anxieties uh, as we face unique challenges and circumstances, um, help us to have um, uh, the eyes of our hearts open to the eternal truths of your character, your goodness, your provision. Um, as we delve into uh, the final passage of Ephesians tonight, uh, may we just be reminded of um, all the deep and rich truths that we covered in our time together uh, in this book. Um, help us to um, have hearts that are um, uh being sanctified in the image of Christ and being sanctified together as a community of believers. We thank you and lift these things up in your name. Amen. All right. So uh, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Ephesians 6 and we'll read uh, chapter 6, verses 21 through 24. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you. All who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. All right, so uh, final verses um, of the book of Ephesians. If you um, have been tracking with us um, uh, in our study uh, and in this journey together, uh, you'll note that it's been almost two years since we've um, started the book of Ephesians. Uh, we started in the fall of 2018. This was uh, back when um, uh, uh, a subsection of us uh, were a part of the Dulos ministry, uh, which was primarily uh, geared for the single adults 
um, at LBCSJ. Uh, and in the fall of 2018, um, if you were around and if you uh, are a member, you may recall that we were coming out of a pretty challenging uh, period in, in the uh, life of our church. It was a challenging summer. Uh, there were a few discipline cases um, that we were working through. Uh, we had several members outside of those discipline cases that had left the church. Um, and there was a lot of open questions uh, at the time um, that we were all working through um, you know, together um, as well as privately. Um, and uh, you know, since then, we've gone through uh, some ministry changes, uh, one of those being you know, this ministry, Logos, um, had been born out of the um, combination of the Pathlight ministry and Dulos ministry. Uh, combining and um, you know you may note that uh, you know since we've started Lagos we've had increasingly more uh, um, uh, married couples and families joining us as well um, so that's been really neat to see uh, that evolution of, of the ministries um, and just for fun uh, Kathy and I uh, we, we tried to tally up some of the life changes in our church that have happened in that time uh, you know in all honesty this is mostly Kathy Kathy uh, um, Kathy's contribution, because I have a bad memory for these things. Uh, but we counted five engagements in our church, uh, five weddings, and 10 babies, uh, all in a span of less than two years. So some pretty big life changes. Um, and at the same time, uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't acknowledge that there were a lot of uh, trials uh, and challenging circumstances as well. Um, you know, we didn't uh, try to tabulate those. Um, uh, many of those, um, I'm sure, were experienced in private as well. Um, but a lot of uh, heartbreaks, a lot of unmet expectations, a lot of things that didn't go according to plan. Uh, and even as we uh, conclude our study together, uh, just our global circumstances uh, look strangely different than we when we first started. Uh, you know, our hope and, and prayer uh, as uh, the teachers and small group leaders of this ministry is that um, this study through Ephesians um, has helped to grow our hearts for the local body and, and grow in appreciation uh, of the unique blessings that are available in the community of believers. Um, you know, some of the, uh, um, you know, themes that uh, we, we covered in the book of Ephesians, um, you know, uh, include the, the unity of the church, the rich inheritance that we have as believers, um, and, you know, the armor of God, and so on. Um, and, and, you know, as we consider here Paul's final remarks, we'll see that he's practicing what he preached. Uh, and specifically what comes to mind is uh, what he says in Ephesians 4.3, uh, which is that he's eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. Uh, you know, as Paul wraps up his text, uh, which is a letter uh, or epistle, uh, he does so um, in, uh, you know, in a common construct of letter writing at that time, which is uh, sharing final wishes 
um, you know, typically those wishes would invoke a higher power. Um, and most of the time that would be regional or Roman gods. Uh, Paul here, of course, roots his wishes, his final wishes for the Ephesians in the provisions of a living God. Uh, the three wishes that he shares um, are fellowship rooted in God's truth, peace rooted in God's work, and grace rooted in God's love. And I'm actually, I'll just drop those into um, the chat here. Uh, and I'm trying to uh, trying to uh, uh, take advantage of this platform we have, and we don't have slides, so just making this a little bit easier to follow. Uh, and so we'll walk through each of those together tonight. Uh, the first of Paul's wishes is a fellowship rooted in God's truth. Um, and, uh, you know, Paul, when when he, um, uh, uh, you know, concludes this book, he, he mentions that he's sending Tychicus as an extension of himself. Uh, who is Tychicus? Uh, we can see uh, there's a couple of things in the Bible that are, uh, um, helpful to for us to understand who Tychicus was uh, in in Acts uh, twenty verse four, uh, Tychicus is mentioned amongst the companions of Paul on his third missionary journey, uh, and he's um, coupled together with uh, another brother Trophimus, and both of them are referred to as the Asians. Um, so they're both from uh, um, um, Asia. Uh, and then later on in Acts 21, verse 29, uh, we find that Trophimus is uh, described as the Ephesian. Um, so what we can infer from that is that uh, Tychicus is at least from uh, um, the province of Asia. Uh, and as he's being sent back to Ephesus, that's where he's returning to. And potentially he might have actually been from um, the region of uh, Ephesus. Uh, the second thing that we see here is in this passage, uh, in verse 21, Tychicus is referred to by Paul as a beloved brother. Uh, and so we can see that he has a close relationship with the Apostle Paul, uh, that he is uh, one of the few companions that are with him and able to visit him while Paul's in-house arrest. Um, and then finally, uh, in in uh, verse 21, we also see that Tychicus is referred to as a faithful minister in the Lord. So we see a description of Tychicus's function um, that he was uh, alongside Paul ministering in the service of Christ uh, and involved in active ministry. Um, and so as Paul sends Tychicus, uh, he shares two reasons why he's sending Tychicus, and both of those reasons help us to understand two aspects of fellowship. Uh, and those reasons are uh, um, to share Paul's inward experience of truth, and then secondly, to share Paul's outward encouragement in truth. Okay. So in... Um, in, 
in uh, regards to Paul's inward experience in truth, uh, you can also refer to this as uh, Paul sharing a missions report, so to speak. And he, he says in these passages, um, in, he says this in a couple different ways. He says, so that you may know how I am, so that you may know what I am doing, and so that you may know how we are. The redundancy here shows that this is a critical objective for Paul. He really wants the church and the believers in Ephesus to know how Paul is doing and what he is doing. And so why is this so important? Paul is doing this out of a selfless love for the, for the believers. Uh, John Stott, in his commentary on Ephesians, says that it is touching to see the apostle's desire to forge stronger personal links between himself and these Asian Christians. Prayer, correspondence, and visits are still three major means by which Christians and churches can enrich one another and so contribute to the building up of the body of Christ. So Paul, even though he's separated by hundreds of miles uh, and by imprisonment from these believers, he deeply desires to maintain a personal connection uh, with the body of Christ. Uh, and when we consider the historical context in which Paul is writing, what we'll find is that this uh, correspondence doesn't come cheaply. Uh, we may take this for granted in the world we live in today, um, where, you know, a stamp costs, I don't know how much it costs these days, but less than 50 cents, um, or even a text message is, is virtually free. Um, back then, you need to consider that parchment um, and even the binding of, of parchment together, uh, the transcription of your words into text. A lot of times, um, you know, Paul dictated his letters uh, to companions or to secretaries. Even ink, it had material costs. Uh, and Paul wasn't exactly uh, rich, right? He was in prison. Um, and, and part of his imprisonment is that he had to, uh, uh, you know, pay for his accommodations himself, right? Uh, he also, uh, likely took a lot of time to write these letters, uh, potentially days, maybe even weeks. Uh, and this is all time that's spent while in house arrest. Uh, I don't know about you, but if I was in prison or in similar situations, uh, I think the temp my inclination would be um, to be a lot more uh, selfish with my time and be kind of, uh, you know, um, wallowing in my situation, but that's not Paul's mindset. That's not Paul's heart. Uh, and historians suggest that likely there were multiple drafts that were written. And even of the final draft, likely there was multiple copies that were made. So there was a big time investment here as well. And then finally, the human resources, right? Uh, he's sending his beloved brother Tychicus uh, one of the few companions that are able to visit him, spend time with him, encourage him. Uh, and yet he desires for Tychicus to go 
uh, a way in order to, to share these letters with the believers in Ephesus, uh, the believers in Colossae, to share um, his encouragement with these believers. So there was a high cost that Paul paid, and he wants them to know how he is doing. So how is Paul doing? What is Paul's missions report? Well, when reading the text, uh, when reading the full letter of uh, uh, Ephesians, we'll find that it's fairly skim on the personal minutiae of his life. Clearly, these are not his blog posts or his Instagram stories. He's not really sharing the, the mundane things of his life. We catch little glimpses of Paul's condition. Uh, in Ephesians 3.1, uh, if you flip back a page or two in your Bibles, he says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, uh, and if you have an ESV, it goes hyphen, and then it goes into an aside, uh, and Paul expounds on the mystery uh, of the gospel. So he kind of gets sidetracked. But you see there in verse in verse 1 that he refers to himself as a prisoner. Uh, he comes back to this thought in chapter 4, verse 1, where he says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you were called. Uh, but really, his remark uh, um, of, that he's a prisoner is really in passing, right? And it's in service to uh, the broader focus, which is the imperative to the believers to walk in a manner that is worthy of the call. Uh, similarly, in another epistle, um, uh, Philippians 1.12, uh, Paul alludes to his imprisonment there. Um, let me just turn there. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So here, it's only alluded to that he's in prison. Clearly, the church in uh, Philippi knows of his condition, and he's acknowledging that he's in prison. But yet, he only alludes to that to convey that the gospel is advancing because of his circumstances. Uh, likely, Tychicus, uh, as he um, came with the letter, uh, meant to spend time with the believers in Ephesus and possibly convey a lot of the circumstantial and personal details um, um, of Paul's life and his present conditions. But it's also likely that Paul was so focused on eternal things that the circumstantial details of his life had really little mind share for him. In Philippians 1.21, Paul says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So while there's still breath in his life, his objective is ministry. His objective is the advancement of the gospel. His mindset is an eternal one. And so that comes through in his writing. What he devotes to writing is the stuff that's the most important to Paul, which is the gospel and its impact on the life of believers. So how does Paul's missions report compare to our own times of sharing, perhaps in small groups? Um, are our times of sharing like a missions report? Are we sharing about how the gospel is advancing into our hearts and through our lives? Or does it more resemble group therapy? Do we use the time to get things off our chest? 
uh, is it personal catharsis? When we share about what's happening in our lives, who is the protagonist of our narrative? Who is being glorified? Is it ourselves? Are we careful with our words to uh, carve a very specific self-image before others? Or is God being glorified? Is he the protagonist of the narrative? Is he the one that's doing the good work? Uh, the second reason for sending Tychicus, uh, the first reason was the inward experience of truth. The second reason for sending Tychicus um, was Paul's outward encouragement in truth. Uh, we see that in um, 622, uh, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Uh, encouragement in the broadest sense can be experienced in a lot of different ways. We can be encouraged when we have a good meal with a, a friend. We can be encouraged by um, playing games together. We can be encouraged by uh, sharing lots of things in common together, having a uh, good time together. Uh, encouragement used here, in those things, uh, don't get me wrong, they have their place in life and even in the life of believers. Uh, it, this is not an indictment on those things. Uh, however, encouragement that's used here has a more specific meaning. It's the Greek word parakaleo, uh, which is a compound word uh, that puts together para, which means alongside, and kaleo, which is to call or to invite. Uh, we see a very literal use of this word in Acts 8.31, uh, which is the passage in which the Ethiopian is sitting upon the chariot reading the scriptures. Uh, and Philip asks him if he understands what he's reading. And the Ethiopian eunuch uh, calls Philip to be alongside him, to sit alongside him, para kaleo, to teach the Ethiopian eunuch, right? Uh, however, despite its literal usage in that text, this word para kaleo is richly complex in the Bible. It's used... Uh, at least 105 times in the New Testament. And other ways that this word is translated include uh, appeal, beg, comfort, exhort, implore, plead, preach. Uh, so you can see the word flexes uh, quite a bit, quite a bit depending on the context. Uh, there's two instances I'll point out of this word being used, which will, I think, help us to understand how it's being used in this passage. Uh, the first one is in John 14, 16 through 17, uh, which reads, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. This is, of course, Christ speaking. And the word helper here is paraclete, paraclete, uh, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the word cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells within you and will be with you. So uh, the Apostle John is quoting 
Christ, who refers to the Holy Spirit as the paraclete, which is uh, the noun form of our word parakaleo. Um, and, you know, though the Holy Spirit does many things it, uh, and he serves several different functions in the life of a believer, one of the primary ways that's being called out in this passage is uh, helping the believer by illuminating the truth of God's word to him. Uh, the other passage that I think will help us to understand Parakaleo a little bit better is Acts 2.40. This is at the end of Peter's sermon uh, at Pentecost, and it reads, And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort Parakaleo, them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So Peter's exhortation is based on the foundation of the sermon that came before. And that sermon was um, a walking through of the Old Testament scriptures, which pointed to Christ. Uh, his exhortation sat on the foundation of God's truth. So when we come back to our passage, Ephesians 6.22, we can begin to see that the translation encourage is referring to a very specific type of encouragement, which is one that's rooted in the truth of God's word. Tychicus is sent, in other words, not merely to drop off a letter. He's not serving as a postman, um, but he's meant to spend time with these believers, encouraging their hearts through the truth of God's word. Effectively, he's doing missions work. Uh, so parakaleo is a comforting or imploring that comes as a result of the word being shared. This is the type of encouragement uh, that Paul wishes for the believers in Ephesus. And this is the type of encouragement for which Paul is willing to spend his time, money, uh, and resources for. Okay, so Paul's first wish for the believers in Ephesus is a fellowship in truth that has these two aspects, which is the inward experience of truth and the outward encouragement of truth. Um, the second wish uh, that Paul uh, has for the believers in Ephesus is a peace rooted in God's work. Uh, we see that in verse 23, peace, to, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, grace and peace, if you are familiar with Paul's epistles, are trademark for Paul. Uh, we see them at the beginning uh, in the greetings of most of his epistles. And for many of his epistles, we see them at the end as well in his final remarks. Uh, and Ephesians is not an exception to that. Uh, when he's talking about peace here, um, to help us understand uh, the peace that he has in mind, we can turn back to earlier in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Uh, and Paul spends some time talking about peace. So in Ephesians 2, 13 to 17, I'll read that for us. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, 
that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Uh, peace is described here in the language of spatial proximity. And I think it's a very helpful analogy. Um, you know, if you uh, watch TV or, or, or watch movies, you might have um, seen uh, uh, this idiom, sleeping in the doghouse. Um, and, you know, a lot of times that's used in the context of a um, marriage relationship when there's a disagreement between spouses um, and the wife will not allow the husband to sleep in the same bed with her, right? Uh, and so he finds himself sleeping on the couch or the he's in the proverbial doghouse. Uh, we also feel this, I think, in our own relationships with people we are in conflict with. Uh, you know, maybe you've experienced this even in the church, uh, when there is a tension or an unreconciled relationship, when there's a disagreement that's alive and active that hasn't been resolved. Being in the same physical space uh, can elicit even physical reactions, right? You might feel knots in your stomach. Uh, you might feel, um, you know, your heart, uh, heart start to race a little bit more. Um, and that those feelings maybe even grow more acute as you find yourself uh, even closer physically, right? Um, you know, uh, for our kids, sometimes when they have a disagreement with one another. Uh, we try to get them to, to reconcile. Um, and we try to get them to apologize and to ask for forgiveness. Uh, and at the end of that, uh, we, we try to make them hug. <laughs> um, and it's funny because sometimes it's a really sweet experience. And that hug is a beautiful and it's a real hug. And you can see that peace uh, has been made, that they have been reconciled. Uh, but other times, uh, it's more like a social distance hug. Um, there's like five feet between them. They're not looking at each other. Uh, and so one is real peace after true reconciliation. And the other is a let's get this over with pretend type of peace. Uh, but isn't this also true in our relationship with God as well? Uh, sin creates oftentimes a distance between ourselves and God. Um, and, you know, a lot of times we have this experience where we're, we, are, we know we've uh, fallen short. We know that we've totally messed up. And yet... And we know in our heads that God forgives, that there is grace in the gospel, uh, that there is forgiveness um, at the cross. And yet we find ourselves reluctant to go to him in prayer, to go to our knees, to acknowledge our sin, to ask him for help. Um, and so uh, sin creates distance, both uh, in a salvation sense, right? Um, 
when sin is not uh, um, repented of, there's a distance positionally. We do not have salvation. But even in an everyday practical sense, it creates distance. The passage in Ephesians 2 declares that Christ so unilaterally establishes peace with Christians that he is personified as peace itself. Uh, this might bring to mind Isaiah 9, uh, where the Messiah is prophesied, and he's called the Prince of Peace, whose government is characterized by an increase of peace. And um, also in this passage in Ephesians 2, we see uh, that it goes on to describe that Christ has broken down the wall of separation in his flesh. Um, and this might bring to mind uh, Matthew 27, 51. Uh, and this is as, as Christ is crucified, um, one of the miracles that happens is that the curtain within the temple, the holy of the ones that separates the holy of holies, um, it's torn in two from top to bottom. And this is not like a curtain that's in our house today. This is a 60-foot curtain that's made of really thick material. Uh, and it was torn from top to bottom, signifying that it was Christ, uh, it was Christ's sacrifice that paid the price, and it's God that's bringing down this wall of separation. Some of you lack peace today in your horizontal relationships. Uh, perhaps between church members, perhaps with friends, perhaps with family. Uh, and some of you today lack peace in your relationship with God. There's a, there's a schism that exists because of sin and idolatry that you are harboring in your hearts. The answer is to go to Christ, who is the Prince of Peace, to go to him today don't wait till you are able to do enough good works uh, to merit your salvation, um, to uh, make yourself worthy to go to him, because that's not the message of the gospel, right? We are utter sinners in need of Christ. In Philippians 4.16, uh, 4.16 and 17, uh, we get a promise that there is supernatural peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding uh, when we go to God in prayer and supplication. God desires nearness, so don't wait. Go to him. Confess your sin. Ask him for forgiveness and ask him for help. Uh, so Paul's second desire for the believers in, in Ephesus is a peace that's only available in the Prince of Peace. And that brings us to the third and final uh, wish that Paul has for the believers, which is a grace rooted in God's love. In verse 24, uh, it reads, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. John Stott talks about this uh, wish not being so much a glorification of the believer's undying love, but of the grace of God that is the fuel of that love. Uh, another way to interpret this text then is to say that Paul's wishes for eternal grace, uh, sorry, Paul wishes 
for the eternal grace for those who love Christ. First uh, John four nineteen says, "We love because He first loved." The only reason a true believer is able to have and experience an undying love is because that love finds its source in the glorious love of God, and that love was demonstrated to us uh, on the cross. And so um, there's a, a gratifying sort of parallelism uh, that we see in the book of Ephesians at the end here uh, when we consider how Paul opens up the book of Ephesians. In the beginning of the book of Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6, Paul praises God for his grace found in the predestination of believers to be adopted as sons and daughters even before time began. And so he's looking back uh, to the grace that exists in eternity past. And then when we look here at the end of the book, Paul points to the grace that will be experienced by believers who will have a love that will never die. So he's speaking about the grace that we as believers experience in eternity future. Uh, so though this letter is one of affirmation for the church in Ephesus, um, we know that Paul, for instance, wrote letters to other churches that were more oriented around the correction of bad teaching or bad behavior. Uh, I think about uh, the epistle of Galatians or 1 Corinthians. Uh, yet Paul, across all his epistles, He's consistently optimistic at the end of each letter because his confidence is in the grace of God, which will prevail, and it is not in man. So what is our confidence in? Do we put it in ourselves? Is our confidence in our resources, our talents, our track record of getting things done? Do we put it on others in our uh, horizontal relationships, perhaps our spouse, perhaps our friends, our family? If our hope is in anything outside of Christ and his grace, that is an idol that will fail us. Uh, and so the three wishes that Paul has here at the conclusion of his letter for the believers in Ephesus include a, a fellowship in God's truth, a uh, peace rooted in God's work, and a grace rooted in God's love. Uh, and so I'll ask a couple questions to round out our time together. Um, in regards to fellowship, are we so eager to maintain the unity of the spirit that we'd be willing to fight for it? Maybe even pay for it with our time, money, energy, resources, the same way that Paul did? He's definitely practicing what he preached. What about our time together? Does it resemble a missions report? Is it clear that our minds are set on things above as Paul's is? Or 
does it more resemble time we spend with uh, unbelievers or people outside of the church? Is there a distinction? How do we encourage one another? What's the source of that encouragement? Is it the truth of God's word? Uh, in regards to peace, is there distance that exists in our relationships horizontally or vertically because of sin? Bring those things to God and lay them at his feet because peace is available and he is desiring nearness. And in regards to grace, do we have a persistent awareness of God's grace in our lives? Do we reflect regularly on the scope of his grace, on the gospel itself that starts from eternity past and ends in eternity future. Let me go ahead and pray for us to um, uh, conclude our time of teaching. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you, Father, for your word. Uh, we thank you for this book of Ephesians um, and the many rich truths uh, that it contains. Um, and I pray, Father, uh, that we as uh, believers um, today in our modern context um, uh, wouldn't glean over these truths, uh, that we would be um, uh, encouraged, that we would be energized um, uh, by the truths of our rich inheritance um, that we who were once dead are made alive and brought together in a community. Um, we thank you, Father, uh, that we have uh, the armor of God at our avail, uh, that you don't leave us uh, to our enemies to be devoured. Um, I just thank you, Father, just for the heart of Paul uh, and the willingness to practice what he preached help us to aspire to have uh, an eternal perspective, a kingdom-mindedness as he did. We thank you and lift these things up in your name. Uh, so I'll wrap up with a, a couple um, of announcements to, to be aware of um, as we move forward here. Uh, for uh, the foreseeable future, for the next few weeks, we continue to um, be on this uh, virtual format uh, so uh, we're going to continue this um, uh, uh, cadence of one week meeting in our small groups and then the other week tuning in um, for, for a time of teaching or for a time of uh, encouragement virtually in this format. Um, so next week, uh, um, we're going to, so actually next week, um, we're going to have a Q&A with our LBC Alliance pastors. So we won't be having small group next week, um, but it'll be a Q&A with the LBC Alliance uh, pastors. And I believe the link uh, will be shared or perhaps has already been shared on the, on the Facebook members page. Uh, so please stay tuned for that. Uh, and then the following May, week, May 20th, uh, we'll have a time of small group prayer and then after that, um, we're going to have our elders uh, jumping on, taking turns jumping on, um, and um, you know, sharing uh, and, and teaching from what they're learning in the Word. Um, 
so so please tune in. It's a it's a great way to uh, you know get a glimpse into uh, what's on the hearts and minds um, of our elders and to be to be praying for them. Um, and uh, on that same note, um, I, the elders I believe uh, plan uh, this Saturday to get together um, to talk specifically about the direction of the church for the remainder of the year. Uh, you know, as you, uh, as everybody is well aware, uh, there's been a lot of um, uncertainty and things unplanned for um, uh, this year. And so in light of that, um, the elders will be spending some time together to, to talk through how we can proceed as a church. Uh, and so it would be great if um, we as members of the church can set aside some time on Saturday to, to lift them up in prayer. Um, and um, if you're um, uh, so inclined, perhaps even to fast uh, a meal for, for them, uh, let's definitely um, lift them up in prayer that God would give them, give them wisdom. Um, and uh, let's, let's keep them upon our hearts and minds. Uh, and then finally, the last thing to uh, be mindful of and stay tuned for is Summer Book Club. Um, so I don't have any of the details at the moment, uh, but just want to, to plant that seed as we have been doing in um, recent summers. Uh, we will uh, be facilitating a, a book club for our members. Uh, it's a good way to, um, you know, spend some time, uh, you know, learning from um, some, some really great Christian books and uh, spend time discussing that together and encouraging one another in the word. Okay. So thanks again for tuning in and until next time. Thank you, everybody.